thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. The Real Food Real is a fresh and educational podcast dedicated to your health. We get real on current research, debunk food myths, and educate you on how to just eat real food. Your host, Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist, is one of Australia's leading sports nutritionists, passionate about simplifying nutrition and addicted to coconut lattes, smoothies, and sweet potato. If you love the show, then please leave us a review on iTunes, share the real food reel with your friends, and continue to spread the real food love. Hi team, and welcome to another episode of The Real Food Reel. Today on the show, I introduce you to Kate Callahan from The Holistic Nutritionist. Kate is a nutritionist, personal trainer, and lifestyle coach who specializes in hormone healing. She has over 13 years experience in the health and fitness industry and one and a half years as a nutrition expert for Sarah Wilson's I Quit Sugar program. Today on the show, Kate shares her story and we chat all things hormones, fertility, and health. Stay with us, boys, as we will include you, I promise. Hi, Kate, and welcome to The Real. Hi, Steph. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to have you here, and I'd love to dive straight in and and share your story and how you came to practice as a nutritionist. Yeah, sure. Um, Well, I've always been interested in health and nutrition, Um, and as you mentioned, I have been in the health and fitness industry uh, for almost 14 years now. I started as a a group fitness instructor when I was about 17, Um, and so mostly in the fitness realm of things to start with. Um, And then I went into public relations, did a bit of a detour, um, but started to get a little bit sick myself, had some quite severe digestive issues, um, and the medical community couldn't really offer me any solutions um, other than medications, which really were only temporary and didn't really help at all. Um, So I found that I had to dive into my own research of nutrition and start doing my own experimentation with food. Um, pulling things out, introducing different things. And I managed to heal myself and make myself better. And I really enjoyed learning about nutrition and how it can heal the body in the process. And so I thought this is what I would like to do for a living and help other people who were in a similar situation. And so then I went back to university, ditched the public relations um, to study nutrition and dietetics. Um, So another four years at university and here I am, and I haven't looked back. It's I love it. It's a fantastic job to be able to help people with with food. <laughs> yeah, it's certainly great that you you can relate on that personal level as well. I mm. think that really helps as a nutritionist. Yeah, definitely. I think if you've got that a little bit of empathy as well as to, opposed to just saying the theory of things and what the textbooks say. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so true. So tell us a little bit more about the holistic nutritionist. You work with digestive health and and hormones? Yes. So mostly at the moment it's with uh, hormones and fertility. That's probably about 70 to 80% of my uh, client base, which I absolutely love. I'm so passionate about it and, and mostly because I've had issues in that realm myself um, and managed to heal myself with diet and lifestyle. Um, and it's there, seriously, there is nothing better than getting an email through from a, someone who's been trying to have babies, has been told that they won't be able to conceive naturally, and then they, they send you an email saying, I'm pregnant. But seriously, nothing beats that. Um, but yes, I also work with digestive issues as well, um, which are complicated, but also 
enjoyable at the same time. I'm a bit of a nerd, so I like to have puzzles to work with. Um, weight loss as well, but not quite as much. Um, and oh, what else do I work with? Autoimmune conditions. So a little bit of everything, but mostly the hormones. Yeah, great. Sounds all very interesting. And it's so great that you love what you do. I think that's, you know, that's the key to happiness. Oh, definitely. I think, mm. yeah, I think most of us do in this, this industry. Yeah. <laughs> I think when you're, when you're helping other people, it's hard not to love your job. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I've been following your blog for some time now and I, I think more recently you've shared some quite personal stories and I'd love for you to dive into that side of your journey and share with our listeners and, and then um, share your exciting news. Yeah, thank you. So um, a few years ago um, when I was deep into my group fitness instructing, um, I was probably teaching somewhere between eight and 16 classes a week. Um, crazy, but that's what I was doing. Um, I was also uh, still at university and quite a bit of a stress head. And I just found the paleo diet, um, which had really, really helped with my health, my digestive issues. It completely cleared everything up in terms of my digestion and I felt great. Um, at first, my fitness was wonderful. I had plenty of energy. Um, and I started out, I should mention, I started out on rather a pretty, pretty low, low carb, high fat version of the paleo diet. So probably only about 10% of carbohydrates in my diet, about 70% fat and 20% protein, um, which is great for some people. Um, but at that time, because I was doing a lot of exercise and a lot of it was uh, what we call glycolytically demanding, which means uh, you need glucose to to fuel the body and the um, because you're not using oxygen where you can burn fat, um, having that low carbohydrate intake wasn't conducive to hormone health for me. Mm. Um, so my hormones went a little bit haywire. I was really, really lean as well. I was about 13% body fat, um, which is about the level that you would see of a fitness competitor when she's up on stage. Um, and that's what I was all year round, essentially because I, was, I wasn't eating enough, I wasn't eating enough carbohydrates and I was doing too much exercise. Um, so what essentially what happened, um, I didn't have a period and this was actually while I was still on the pill. So medication couldn't even force my body to have a period and I was diagnosed with something called hypothalamic amenorrhea, which basically means my brain stopped communicating to my ovaries to produce sex hormones necessary for a healthy menstrual ovulatory cycle. So along with a lack of menstruation, um, I was also infertile and I also had pretty poor bone density because my sex hormones were so low. My estrogen was really low um, and estrogen is essential for um, bone density. Um, so that was leading to bone density, which is pretty, pretty scary at the age of 27, um, all because it was because I wasn't eating enough and exercising too much and stressing too much. Um, so the way to heal hypothalamic amenorrhea, essentially, in theory, it sounds really, really easy: <laughs> um, <laughs> eat more, exercise less, and stress less. So that sounds easy, but 
most females will know that that's not as easy as it sounds. Um, we have our crazy female brain to contend to. We have uh, societal um, mainstream ideas of what an ideal body should look like and the whole new strong as the new skinny and how we should all have abs. And I did have abs. I had an eight-pack, but it wasn't healthy. Um, so I had to get my head around that. And the fact that my husband and I wanted to start a family and that I wanted to not have osteoporosis by the time I was 40, they were pretty big drivers for me to to make some changes. Plus, I'm pretty stubborn. <laughs> so I thought, okay, I've healed myself of other things before. I can heal myself of this. Uh, so I did just that. I started to eat more. I exercised a lot less. Um, I still stuck to a paleo real food diet because I believe that's fundamental. I don't believe in the traditional, uh, the mainstream treatment of hypothalamic amenorrhea, which is just get calories in no matter what, um, in the form of sugar and McDonald's, whatever, it doesn't matter as long as there's calories. So it was still a paleo diet, but it was just tweaked around the other way. So it was just higher carbohydrate. Um, I dropped the fat a little bit, but not really because fat and proteins are still important for hormone building. Um, And I also really managed my stress levels through uh, yoga, um, deep belly breathing, affirmations. I became quite a hippie during this period. Um, And then after about seven months of consistently uh, eating more, exercising less, carrying a little bit more body fat, um, so I no longer had my eight-pack abs, which I'm completely fine with, Um, after about seven months I got my period back, which was very exciting. Uh, and then about another four mi- four months, not four minutes, four <laughs> months, that <laughs> be quick, four months after that I started ovulating again and probably another four months after that I became pregnant and now oh. I am 32 weeks pregnant so I have eight weeks to go so I definitely don't have an eight pack now. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that. I'm pretty sure it's the exact opposite at the moment but all very exciting. <laughs> Yeah, it is the opposite, but it's yeah, it's really exciting and yeah, it's a very special time for us and pretty quick turnaround actually when when you think about it. I mean, it was a couple of years which people might say is a long time, but I went from being infertile to pregnant in about a year, so. Yeah, that's a, such a fantastic story and I think you know, certainly highlighting the importance of the balance between the correct nutrition and the balance of exercise and definitely lifestyle factors of which stress management is significant. It's being consistent with all those changes that certainly allowed you to have that fantastic end result. Yeah, exactly. And it is that consistency that's really, really key. I think we have a tendency to maybe when we get our period back and put on weight to go, okay, I can go back to my old ways again and just go and smash myself at the gym and cut back on my calories Um, but really you need to keep it on to keep your brain feeling safe and happy that reproduction is a viable option because essentially reproduction isn't essential for our survival so it our brain will switch off that function if it thinks that we need our energies should be going to more vital functions such as our heart and lungs and muscles and brain. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it from an evolutionary perspective. It's certainly something that isn't prioritised if there is, you know, more important areas. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so when we talk about, a, say, what you do with your clients and a treatment approach to fertility, is this something that you can then certainly apply from a 
profession now that you are in the position yourself? Is this how you would treat your clients coming to you for infertility, say? Definitely. Um, definitely if it's hypothalamic amenorrhea related, I would go down a similar path that I took myself. Um, I think it helps when people come to me knowing that I've been through it, mainly because of that mental side of it and understanding that you're going to have days where you feel fat and you feel frumpy and you want to take a step back and go back into your old ways and just adjusting to that and being a bit compassionate with yourself. Um, So I think that helps that I've had that experience. But, yes, in terms of the direction I would go with with people in that situation, it would be gradually increasing calorie intake. Um, Weight gain if it's necessary, but it's more important to have sufficient body fat than to be a certain weight. Um, So we produce a hormone called leptin in our fat cells. And leptin is really important for signaling to the brain that there's sufficient energy around for reproduction. And when the brain gets that message, then that signals to the ovaries to release the sex hormones. So if you don't have sufficient body fat, the brain doesn't get that message, the ovaries don't get the message, and you don't have cycle um, and you're infertile essentially. So increasing the calories to support fertility, making sure that you're getting enough of everything. So really, really nutrient-dense foods. I mean, you're making a mini a mini human, you kind of need really good quality food. It's not just about eating whatever you want Um, and appropriate exercise. So not just doing nothing. I think people have a fear of when I say exercise less that I'm just saying sit on the couch. That's not what I'm saying at all. I think that's not healthy physically or mentally. So we'd more go down gentle movement strategies um, such as yoga, such as walking, Um, the occasional resistance training but keeping it short, sharp, um, functional, whole body um, and really efficient. And then obviously, as you said, Steph, looking at the stress management side of things because that in itself, psychological stress in itself can trigger amenorrhea, can make the period go away. So we'd look at all those aspects really um, and integrate it into one nice big plan. (laughs) Yeah, some great advice there. And now I promised the boys that we wouldn't forget about them. So (laughs) can you give us a couple of little tips for how you address the male side of the equation from a fertility point of view? Yeah, definitely. That's such a good question. Thank you for asking. I had this question from someone else the other day on my Facebook page because her husband was arguing and saying that male fertility or diet of males has no impact on their fertility. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Last time I checked I, it was 50-50. <laughs> it is 50-50. It's 100% 50-50. I mean, it's, there's a sperm and there's an egg. It's 50-50, um, at least until the conception happens. Yeah. After conception, you can do what you want. I mean, it would be nice <laughs> to support your pregnant wife. But, but before that, um, so number one, stress is, a, again, a big factor. So stress can affect... Uh, sperm quality. Uh, so when we're looking at sperm, we look at sperm and motility, which is how the sperm move, um, the number um, and the morphology, which is basically the, the shape of the, of the sperm. So we want all of those to be perfect to develop super sperm essentially to get to the egg. So stre- addressing stress is really, really key, um, but also ensuring uh, a healthy diet so plenty of fresh uh, vegetables, plenty of good quality protein. We know that zinc is really, really key in um, sperm health. So 
getting good quality meat, uh, oysters, if you like. Oysters are fantastic for supporting healthy sperm. Um, and then avoiding foods, <clears throat> inflammatory foods that can create issues with those factors that we look at in the sperm health, um, such as sugar, uh, refined and processed foods, uh, vegetable oils and trans fats, um, smoking, obviously, um, soy foods, so the the phytoestrogens or the plant estrogens in soy can muck around with male fertility a little bit. So avoiding all those inflammatory kind of modern processed dodgy foods <laughs> <laughs> and going back to more real foods, more as nature intended, you know, if you can grow it, if you can raise it, if you can pick it, then it's probably going to be good for you. Um, and then, of course, uh, adequate hydration as well. It's really key. And appropriate exercise, um, again, that's that's essential. So managing insulin sensitivity um, and maintaining an appropriate weight, also important for male fertility as well. So, again, looking at the whole picture. Yeah, there's some fantastic tips. Thanks. Excellent. Now, I wanted to chat with you a little bit more about the pill. You mm -hmm. mentioned really briefly that you were taking the pill at one stage. Uh, I feel in my little realm, the conversation around synthetic hormones has certainly increased and it's somewhat controversial, but I'd love to hear your thoughts around the pill and modern contraception. Mm -hmm. It is really controversial. <laughs> I, I put a post up a couple of weeks ago and it got quite a bit of feedback. Heat? <laughs> yeah, a little bit of heat. Me too. <laughs> um, and I understand that. And first of all, I do want to say it is a personal choice. Um, but I think the choice should be an informed choice. Um, so what is really, really important when it comes to not just the oral contraceptive pill, but any medication is understanding the side effects and understanding what could happen later on in life. So I went on the pill when I was 16 and when you're 16 you don't go and ask the doctor, hey, what are the side effects? You just basically get the pill and go on with your merry way and they don't tell you the side effects either. Um, so basically what happens in our reproductive years, um, our hormones are kind of establishing a bit of a bit of a flow. So our brain's establishing a connection between uh, our, our brain and our ovaries with that hormonal flow to get that, um, to get the communication saying, hey, here are the hormones that you need for a healthy menstrual cycle. If we take a pill during that period, which gives us synthetic hormones, that's going to disrupt that communication process. And that pathway between the brain and the ovaries isn't going to be formed quite as well. And then we take the pill for years and years and years and then once we come off the pill, the brain goes, oh, well, I don't really know what to do because you've been giving me this synthetic hormone all this time so I need to try and figure that out. So that's one side of it is your brain then just has to try and establish how it's going to communicate with the ovaries and learn to produce its own hormones again and that can take time and can be really stressful on the body. Um, some people, it's rare, but some people will never get their period back after being on the pill, which is pretty scary. Um, aside from that, the pill, it covers up underlying issues. Yeah. So a lot of the reasons that people go on the pill 
will be for things like endometriosis, uh, PCOS, uh, heavy periods or acne. All of these have some kind of underlying hormonal imbalance or some kind of root cause that is not due to a lack of oral contraceptive pill. Yeah. <laughs> Funny that. <laughs> There's no deficiencies in the pill. Yeah. I mean, we, it's such a new new medication. It's It hasn't been around for years. And so it takes us away from addressing the root cause, which is, again, is most likely going to just rear its ugly head again once you come off the pill. So it's really about addressing the root problem as opposed to just taking that pill to cover it up. Um, and, of course, the other reason is contraception. And while I get that's really important and unwanted pregnancies and obviously not a great thing, um, but I think what we need to be taught in school is when we're ovulating, what that looks like and understanding that we actually only ovulate once a month. So taking a synthetic hormone for 30 days or, sorry, 21 days most of the month doesn't really make any sense given that we're not fertile that whole way through. So that's another point. And then finally, uh, nutrient deficiencies. So the pill depletes your body of nutrients, so uh, a number of nutrients, but uh, zinc, magnesium, folate, uh, B vitamins, fat-soluble vitamins, vitamin C, and it also messes with your gut bacteria. And what we're learning now is the gut bacteria play a huge, huge role in pretty much all aspects of our health. More and more research is coming out that they don't, there's nothing they don't affect. So that's, that's kind of what I think of the pill. If, if, that, if it wasn't clear, I'm not a fan of it. <laughs> <laughs> I think you summarized that quite nicely. And I'm, I love the point that you do mention around the education. And that's what I do with all of my female clients. And I'm sure you do the same. It's learning more about our cycles and, and, and how to understand that fertile window and you know, I'm sure neither you or I are telling anyone to stop the pill, but it is about being informed and knowing that there are other options and, and certainly that there is um, a method to, to learn more about your body and, and what those, those symptoms and those signs are. Yeah, exactly. And, and I get it. It can be a, a scary thing coming off the pill because we weren't taught about this. I didn't know about all the signs and symptoms until I was about 26 when I had to learn um, but it's really, really empowering and fascinating that the body does tell you all these signs that through signs and symptoms. It's it's amazing. If, when you pay attention, your body, you realize how amazing your body is. Oh, absolutely. And I think you're right with what you said around how when we're first prescribed the pill and we're teenagers, we don't think, we certainly don't think long term. But I also think back then, you know, the conversations weren't being had. Whereas now I feel like teenagers and, and potentially, you know, the women that, that maybe do have acne or PCOS or are being prescribed the pill for that Band-Aid solution that hopefully the conversations are uh, more frequent and we can get to these people before they um, perhaps make a decision that may not be right for their long-term health. I hope so. Yeah. I, I hope it's so heading too. in that direction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some really great information there. So thanks, Kate, for sharing your knowledge with us. Thank you. I want to summarize a few things with you so that our listeners can find a little bit more about you and um, Certainly, these are some questions that we ask everyone that appears on The Real Food Reel. Mm-hmm. So I think I know what the answer to this question is, but can you share with us what your number one piece of nutrition advice is, please? 
My number one piece, well, I want to know what you think my number one piece is, but <laughs> um, my number one piece of nutrition advice is actually don't let the perfect get in the way of the good. Yeah. Um, I see a lot of people freak out about having the perfect diet um, and that stress alone can contribute to ill health. Um, whereas if you just focus on on what you can do and, you know, having a base of real food. And then every now and then if you have something that's not ideal, if you have a bit of ice cream, you know, no, oh, it's not a health food, but is it going to kill you on a one-off? No. Um, and it's better to eat that food, eat it slowly and enjoy it and not feel guilty about it than to beat yourself up about it. Um, it's more about what you're doing on a day-to-day basis as opposed to those every now and then little bits and pieces here and there yes I always say what you do every day matters more than what you do every once in a while exactly exactly yeah I was I was thinking your answer was going to be real food so I was pretty close (laughs) (laughs) yeah I know absolutely now share with us what a day on your plate looks like whether it's what you've eaten so far today or some common common foods or recipes that you're into at the moment okay So what I eat now is a little bit different because I'm pregnant, Mm -hmm. Uh, but not that different actually. So today I had um, a banana omelette for breakfast. So that was a banana mashed in with a couple of eggs and some cacao and seeds and coconut flakes um, and served with some full-fat yogurt and chia seeds mixed in together to make it nice and thick. Uh, then I had for morning tea, so I eat all the time now being pregnant. <laughs> You're allowed to. You're growing yeah. a human, like you said. Mm. For morning tea, I had a berry smoothie. Um, lunch, I had some leftover tuna. So one of my friends caught some tuna uh, fresh from the west coast of New Zealand yesterday and delivered it fresh, which is lovely of her. So I had that um, baked last night but had it left over today, just sautéed with some veggies um, and a mug of bone broth on the side. My hubby kindly made up about six litres of bone broth on the weekend, so we're getting through that. And just before, I picked some strawberries and some cherry tomatoes from the garden and had a little nibble on those. And for dinner, which this is going to sound really random, but we're having bacon and eggs for dinner. (laughs) (laughs) No, breakfast is every meal of the day, I think. I don't always have bacon and eggs for dinner. I'll usually have some sort of protein and veggies. Um, But, I don't know, (laughs) Wednesday night has tended to be bacon and eggs lately. (laughs) (laughs) That's a bit of a different tradition to say pizza nights or Chinese (laughs) takeaway. Exactly, exactly. So that's my day on on my plate so far today. Sounds very good. And for the listeners that don't know, yes, Kate is in New Zealand, so no, her friend did not deliver tuna from Australia to New Zealand or or New Zealand to Australia. (laughs) (laughs) lovely now we want to know what's next obviously we know that you're growing a human but in terms of the holistic nutritionist what's the rest of the year looking like for you other than looking after a a Mm. mini human um, I've just released an ebook on hypothalamic amenorrhea and how to heal hypothalamic amenorrhea um, using a holistic approach so with diet uh, lifestyle stress management um, and from an ancestral perspective, so a really a real food perspective. Um, I have some amazing con- um, contributors in there from other women who've been through 
hypothalamic amenorrhea or have lost their period for some other reason or who can relate to some of the body image issues or some of the mental hurdles or diet hurdles as well. They have provided some beautiful contributions in there. They're so so inspiring. I love reading it. Uh, so that's available now and I'm selling it through my website. Uh, later in the year I have I may be writing a book. <laughs> I haven't told anyone about yeah, that. Yeah, we yet. won't tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we're still nutting out the ideas of what that's actually going to look like. So a little bit of a little bit of work ahead of me. Um, but that's what's it going sounds on. like 2015 is going to be a big one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I try not to think about it too much. <laughs> but no, it's very exciting. I'm, I'm excited about what what the year has on offer yeah excellent and last question before we wrap up today share with us where our listeners can find you so blog and social media mm-hmm. uh, so my blog is www.theholisticnutritionist.com um, instagram i'm at the holistic nutritionist uh, facebook the holistic nutritionist and twitter th underscore nutritionist very Probably good. easiest to go through my website for yeah. all of those. Beautiful. And we'll pop all the links in the show notes as usual. I can't wait to check out your ebook as well. I hear I may have a copy on the way, so that's very exciting. Yes, thank you. And thanks again for sharing your story, Kate. It's been lovely to speak to you and best of luck with the rest of the year. I can't wait to see the pics of the bub as well. <laughs> thanks so much, Steph. Pleasure. Speak soon. Thank you. Bye. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.